You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. But we want to uh, continue our study tonight, and we've come to the end of 2 Kings, and we're going to be finishing up chapters 23 through 25 tonight. I'll be summarizing a good portion of it. We won't read each and every verse, but we, uh, we've come now to the end of the history of Israel uh, as it relates to the southern kingdom. We know the northern kingdom has already kind of fallen, and now the southern kingdom comes to its end as well. And we have really just the last few kings that were, were involved in the last, the latter 20, 25 years of the nation. And uh, we're going to look at those here tonight, and then I hope have some, just some spiritual application for us, some thoughts. But before we get started in the study tonight, let's take a time now just to pray and ask God to minister to us from his word. Lord, we do thank you for your presence here among us as we join you in worship. And Lord, we, we believe that we're joining you, that you are in our midst, that as we sing and praise that you are among your people. And Lord, now that uh, we just have kind of come to this place of centering our hearts and minds on you, we're asking you to speak to us. Open our hearts tonight, Lord. Let us hear from heaven. Lord, reveal truth to us from these examples. Paul, the Apostle Paul said we're to learn from the examples of your people that have gone before us. And so, Lord, he was referencing the, the Old Testament, the children of Israel, and that the lessons that were there are still true for us, the spiritual insights, God. So I pray tonight as we finish up the book of Second Kings that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a, um, an overhead, I think, that James can put up there, and hopefully you can see that. Uh, these are the last five kings kind of finishing out the nation of Judah, the southern portion of Israel. Josiah, we looked at his life. He was the good king, and really the last of the good kings. He reigned a good 31 years, and that's 640 to 609. Those are B.C., so... As you move closer to Christ, those numbers go down. That's the way it was before B.C. And now after Christ, the numbers go up. And we know that Josiah died in battle. He went out and fought uh, against Egypt, and he, was, he died in battle. But uh, these are the four final kings that reigned after Josiah. Zedekiah would be the last king before the nation would be completely uh, taken captive and destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C. So you see, these are just... Kind of the last 20 or so years. We're going to pick it up tonight after Josiah, picking it up with Jehoahaz, and he only reigned for three months, so a pretty short uh, season for him. And that comes to us in chapter 23. And again, just I'm going to summarize just those last few verses. We, we finished last time, verse 30, verses 31 through the end of the chapter. We have just this brief uh, mention of Jehoahaz. He uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he only reigned for three months. And then he was taken prisoner to Egypt by Pharaoh Necho. And we'll just leave that up tonight. So as we track through the passages, you guys can see where we are in the table there of the kings. And uh, Babylon was growing in power, but Egypt was also still a world power. And in fact, we're going to see Babylon ultimately puts Egypt under its thumb, and then Babylon rises. Nebuchadnezzar becomes the, the world-dominant power. But we, we see here that Egypt is still coming, and God is allowing all of the enemies to come. 
God has removed his hand of protection. The nation has turned from the Lord. They're living in sin. They're rebelling against God. They're rejecting him. And after Josiah, the one good king who, who stayed the judgment because he turned his heart back to the Lord, brought some of the nation back, but it was temporal, short-lived. The people had already given place to idolatry and turning away from the Lord. And this just becomes the beginning of the end. After him, Jehoiakim, some of these names are uh, similar, but these are different kings. He came onto the throne and he reigned for 11 years. So what happened, Jehoahaz, three months, Pharaoh and Necho took him out and placed Jehoiakim in his place and figured this would be a king that he could control. And he reigned for 11 years and he then taxed the people and sent tribute on to Egypt. And that kind of brings us through chapter 23. And now we begin chapter 24. So um, the, the kings are still there. Jehoiakim is still a king of, of Judah, but he's really paying a heavy tax to, um, to Egypt. Pick it up with me now. Chapter 24. And now we begin to see Nebuchadnezzar come onto the scene. Verse 1. In his days... That is in Jehoiakim's days while he was reigning, those 11 years while he's on the throne. During that time, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. So he kind of put Egypt under his authority. Then he came and put Judah under his authority. And Jehoiakim was cooperative for three years. Then, verse 1, he turned and rebelled against him. So Jehoiakim was unwilling to stay submitted to Babylon, but for a few years. Verse 2, then the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans. Chaldeans is, a, is a, uh, another reference for the people of Babylon. Bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. So it's, it's the Lord sending these raids, and they're coming in waves. God has removed his hand of protection, and now the nation is experiencing wave after wave of assault. Verse 3, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. Remember, Manasseh was the worst of the Judean kings, and he kind of, the people followed suit. There was that reign of Josiah that gave a break, but then the people returned back to those sins of Manasseh. That cycle continued. Verse 4, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, so we got Kim and Chin, his son reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore. For the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So you see in the ge geopolitical world of the time, Babylon has now arisen to power. Egypt has, has you know, relented. And Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, is now the authority in the land. And he's, he's, he's ruling from Babylon, but he's coming and setting up his vassal kings. But Jehoiakim, 
um, he refused to submit to the king of Babylon. The, the, the contemporary pro prophet that was ministering in Judah at this time is Jeremiah. And the whole book of Jeremiah, and it's a lengthy book of prophecies, are all the prophecies that the Lord was speaking to the, to the nation of Judah during these years, during these last few kings. The prof, God was faithfully speaking to these kings. Second Kings just gives us the blow-by-blow -blow history, but Jeremiah gives you more insight as to what was going on spiritually, that God was warning them all along. God was trying to get them to return to him. And he says in numerous places in Jeremiah, if you will repent, it's still not too late. If you will turn your heart back to me, I will stop the judgment. I will reestablish you in your land. And I will, I will, you know, take care of you as my people. They continued to rebel. They persecuted Jeremiah. Because when Jeremiah was prophesying, he was saying, if you don't repent, judgment is coming. God's raising up a, a strong force from the north, and he's going to come, and he's going to take over your land. He's going to destroy you. He's going to put you into bondage. Well, they didn't want to hear that, so much so that they, they kind of they persecuted Jeremiah. You can read the account. He was arrested, put in prison, put in a dungeon, put down into a deep pit because the people didn't want to hear that. Prophesy to us smooth things is one of the verses in Jeremiah. We don't want to hear these harsh things. We want to hear that, that, that we're going to be victorious, that we're going to you know, reign in the land. And Jeremiah said, not unless you repent. If you don't repent, your, your day is coming. And so this was the Lord's mercy extended to them as a people. But Jehoiakim, uh, he, he rebelled against Babylon, and eventually Babylon comes and subdues him. Now, uh, even at that point... Even when Babylon began to conquer them, they, uh, Jeremiah was telling the kings, don't fight against the king of Babylon. Submit to him. It will go well with you. God, you, you can live under the king of Babylon and God will bring peace, but don't rebel against this king. This is what God has ordained because of the unrepentive sins of the nation. Well, the kings wouldn't listen. They rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he came and he laid siege. And uh, this actually turned out to be um, the first captivity. You'll see, uh, and I think I have that up there. You see first, second, and final siege. Um, all, each time, Jeremiah was there prophesying, saying, stop fighting Babylon. This is of the Lord. Submit to this authority and God will bless you here in the land. They refused, they kept rebelling, they kept believing that they could throw off uh, the judgment and discipline of the Lord, and each time the siege became more uh, forceful, more destructive. So Jehoiakim experienced, he's the one that rebelled, and he experienced the first kind of siege from Nebuchadnezzar. He conquered them and took many captive. In this first siege, now when I say take captive, you understand this is the way the nations in the old world conquered. They would come in and they would take your citizenship and resettle you as slaves or as, you know, just farmers or whatever back in their homeland. This would kind of tamp down rebellion. The, the nationals are no longer there to 
rally for their country. They just resettle you. They take you off in cap captivity and put you back into Babylon and assimilate you into their culture. And in that first wave, after the first siege, you, you'll, you'll remember that Daniel, young Daniel, just a, probably a teenager in Jerusalem at that time, he went with this first siege. He was one of the young men that Nebuchadnezzar took back with him at, under Jehoiakim's reign. In fact, you can read it in J Daniel chapter 1. He references it under Jehoiakim's reign. We were taken captive. And the story of Daniel, all of Daniel's adult life would be spent in Babylon. All the prophecies in the book of Daniel were written while Daniel was living in the foreign land of Babylon. Not, not only Daniel went, there were some others, some of his uh, colleagues, some of his young friends, you may remember them. We know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we know some of the stories from Daniel. But let me just quote from Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. This is important because uh, this is what Daniel said in his heart, even though he was taken captive. Daniel 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. They took these young men, it took these promising, kind of intelligent, well-potentialed uh, young men, and they put them into the king's kind of counselors. They, these were going to be the, the, the young men that the king would have serving him. And Daniel was one of them, one of those chosen to be one of the kind of the elite of the young people taken captive. And they put them into this regiment where they began to kind of prepare them to serve the king and in his courts. And part of that regiment was a whole diet. They wanted to get them healthy. They wanted to get them acclimated to the culture, teach them the, the, you know, how to behave in front of the king. And Daniel purposed in his heart, because for Daniel, all of the foods and all of this preparation would have been unkosher, right? He was trained in the things of the Lord. He had dietary restrictions that he felt in his heart as his relationship with God. So this is a beautiful example of a young man who's taken into a completely foreign culture, but because he purposes in his heart to serve the Lord, even in this foreign place, even in this place where everyone else is, you know, conforming and everyone wants me to conform, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not, that he wanted to continue to serve and honor God even in his food. And he asks for permission. And if you know the story, God meets him. God honors Daniel. The, 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 the eunuch agrees. He says, okay, well, we won't give you all of this food that we want you to eat. We'll let you just eat vegetables and some of the things that you, you can't eat. But if you don't look healthy and if you're not, you know, staying strong after a little bit of time, you're going to have to eat what we tell you to eat because you've got to look good when we take you before the king. And the Lord met them, Daniel and his young, young friends, and they actually, their countenance, their strength was greater than all those that were on the king's diet. So this just was God honoring Daniel as Daniel honored the Lord. This is a great passage for us to reflect on in our own Christian walk. You know, we live in a foreign land. Do you know that? Do you know you're a stranger here on the earth? Do you know you're just a pilgrim? 
Boy, don't you feel more and more strange as time goes on. I, I'm, even in our own nation, we begin, we're beginning to feel as Christians that we are really kind of oddballs, right? And the world is certainly willing to agree with us and tell us that. And we need to conform. We need to get with the program. You need to, you know, start uh, you know, embracing what we say is good and right and true. And, 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 and yet as Christians, wanting to honor what? God's word. Wanting to honor what God has called us to live by, we, we find ourselves going against the stream of the culture. How important it is for us as Daniel to purpose in our hearts that we will not yield to the sins of the culture. We will not compromise. For Daniel, it was a dietary restriction that God had implemented in the Old Testament, Old Covenant law. For us, it's different. It's not dietary concerns. It's spiritual concerns. It's what we believe. It's what, what we believe about Christ. It's what we believe about biblical values for family, for marriage, for how we would conduct ourselves. And so we need to purpose these things in our heart. And God will meet you there. As you set your heart to honor the Lord, God will bless and God will make a way. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they went through some trials. They had some opportunities to, to kind of yield to the culture. But they held their ground and God did bless them and care for them. Not without controversy, not without persecution, but God blessed them. This is a great story for young people, especially, you know, young people growing up, teenagers. We're, this, is a, this is a story about a young man and his friends. These guys were young. And we, we see today our culture especially trying to conform our young people, but, you know, just trying to reprogram them about moral things, about spiritual things, and how important it is to see that, you know what, even a young man, sometimes we wonder, don't you? I wonder, how can, how can our teenagers make it today? How can our teenagers even, you know, function with the peer pressure and the confusion and all that's coming against them? Well, they have to purpose in their heart to live for the Lord. They have to know the Lord, they have to come to faith, and they have to purpose in their heart. God will meet them. God will bless them. That's a side note, but Daniel is a contemporary of this that we're studying, and there's some good spiritual application there for us. Let's move on. Verse 8, back to our text, back to Judah, what was happening there. So Daniel is carted off, and we know that he will live a full, rich life in Babylon as a prophet. Verse 8, Jehoiakim, excuse me, Jehoiachin, so Kim is gone, Chin is in. Jehoiachim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months, another very short reign. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. Now, each of these kings, you know, even when the king changed, Jeremiah is still there telling them, repent, repent, stop, obey God, I'll bless you, and they don't, no, we're going to do it our way. Verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, 
and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. He also carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of, of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. This is the second siege. So the first time Nebuchadnezzar shows up, sets up his, his vassal king, Jehoiakim, takes a group captive. Jehoiakim rebels, Nebuchadnezzar comes, lays siege again, and then Jehoiachin, for only there three months, he surrenders during the siege of, of this uh, Nebuchadnezzar, coming back to kind of re-establish his rule in Judah. And this becomes the second siege and the second deportation. And another famous prophet would be deported in this time, and his name was Ezekiel. And you can look in the book of Ezekiel and realize that Ezekiel also was taken captive, and all of his prophecies are written in Babylon. He's not in Jerusalem like Jeremiah, like most, like Isaiah, like most of the prophets. He wrote his prophecies while captive there in Babylon. And this is a. This is the time. This was. This would be a. This second deportation. You can see they took all of the, of the strong and noble people, all of the, the skillful people. Uh, they they're really whittling down to just you know people that would not be as likely to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. And it would be in this time Jeremiah still prophesying, still ministering to these kings. Um, Jeremiah would write a letter to the uh, captives there in Babylon. And, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me. Hold your place in 2 Kings. But turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what's in my heart tonight is to just, because we kind of look through the historical things, I want to pull out a few of these spiritual nuggets for us. To see that God was faithfully working and ministering even in this decline, even in this kind of judgment that was being poured out, even in judgment, the mercy of God, the love of God, the, the grace of God is present. And God always, even though I, he was judging, he was also trying to sow hope into, into, a, a, into their future. You're being disciplined. This is the result of your sin. This is what God is doing. But God wants you to return to him because if you'll return to him, there's hope. And Jeremiah, you'll, we know the very famous verse that we'll end on here, but I want you to pick it up with me. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is Jeremiah writing a letter to this large group that's been taken captive. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. The prophet's writing a letter on behalf of the Lord. 
Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And here's our famous verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We often quote that verse. The letter goes on and you can continue to read the words of encouragement that God sends to the nation in captivity. We often read that verse, and I think it's a true thought for us in any setting that God does uh, have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. But it's even more powerful in this setting because this is written to a people who are undergoing a very firm judgment and, and discipline of the Lord. These are the a people that have rebelled against God. These are a people that have been hard-hearted, stiff-necked, refusing to, to yield. And even then, even as God is disciplining them, he's letting them know, I still love you. I still have hope. I still have a future and a hope for you. My thoughts for you, this discipline, my thoughts for you are not for evil. I'm not resettling you there in Babylon to destroy you so that you'll be assimilated and the nation lost and the lineage of the Messiah lost forever. I still have purpose for you. I still have plans for you. And I will bless you even there, even in Babylon. You can be blessed. Don't listen to these false prophets. There were false prophets there. God's going to bring us back to the land. Don't you worry. We're the children of God. We're going back to the land. This is, we're going to be back there very soon. God sends word for the, through the true prophet Jeremiah. No, you're not going back soon. You need to settle in because you're going to be there for 70 years. I'm not bringing anybody back until 70 years have finished. We know the reason God wanted them there for 70 years was because they refused to obey the word of God written to them in Leviticus to give the land rest every seventh year. As they were living in their land, the promised land, God had given them instruction, plant and bring in harvest for six years and then let the land rest for one year. And it was there, it was, there was a practical application there. The land will be more fruitful if you will let it rest, but also there, it, there was an element of faith there. It was a Sabbath. It was a rest. You were, to, you were to trust God that I'll give you enough in the six years that you won't have to grind out everything you can get in year seven. Trust me. Let the land rest. Well, for 490 years since God had brought them into the promised land, they never let the land rest. So the Lord, the Lord they owed the Lord 70 
70 years of Sabbaths. And so for 70 years, God's getting the land to rest. He just takes them out. God's word, he's going to get his, the land, going to give the land its rest. And this is the reason God said for 70 years, you owe me 70 years. You disobeyed me all these generations. And now I've taken you out of the land. So, but, but we see this word from Jeremiah. And this is, an, I think, another encouraging thought for us here tonight. Because, as I mentioned, I think we're living in, in times where more and more as Christians, we're beginning to feel like strangers in the land. We're beginning to, to feel more and more at odds with the culture and, the, and kind of the, the, the spirit of the age. And we, can, and we can become very distraught about that, like, oh my, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe these laws. I can't believe what's going on in my time. What, what hope is there? I need to get out of here. California especially, right? We need to get to Texas. At least they have some laws there that we can agree with and the taxes. Oh, and, and we begin to think, you know, somehow we got we to gotta escape the, the, you know, the unpleasant kind of situation that we find ourselves in. But this is a word from the prophet Jeremiah, and I think it's a, it can be a word that you can take to heart. Listen, I can, God would say, I can bless you and take care of you anywhere. You're here as missionaries. You guys are there in Babylon. I'm going to bless you. Plant. Marry. Live your lives. Pray for the peace of the city. Yeah, but this isn't Jerusalem. This isn't the homeland. This isn't the promised land. We're here in this foreign land. Oh, we're, how can we survive? God says, you will survive. I have a future and a hope for you. This is a discipline. This is something that you brought upon yourself. But listen, I will bless you. Be even there where you are. So God will bless you. God will take care of you. Pray for your city. And I would say for us, pray for, your, pray for our city. Pray for our state. Pray for our nation. Again, we have opportunity to be salt and light. We have opportunity to bring the, the gospel, the light and influence of our witness. And God has us here for such a season, such a time as this. God has chosen us for this generation. God has placed you here in Southern California. You're not here by accident. Oh, I got to get out. I got to get out. Oh, God may lead you out. And God does lead us out at times. But you know what? You may just be here and need to live the life God's called you to live and be faithful. Because God is with you wherever you go. Right? How many of you know that God can meet you even in California? You don't have to be in Texas. Okay? Texas is great. If the Lord opens the door, an opportunity, you know, go, enjoy. But believe me, there's sinners in Texas too. There's issues there. And it's not where you are, it's who you're with, right? And it's whose word you have in your heart. God wants to bless. God wants to take care of his people. And he's asking them to submit to the Lord's discipline and be blessed. I want you to turn to another passage. Sorry, I wanted to keep that I wanted to, didn't want to put these verses up on the overhead because I wanted to keep that up there for you as a reference. So turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 12. Turn in your Bibles tonight because I've got some thoughts here again. Just this whole idea of the Lord disciplining his people. You know, that's a New Testament concept also. 
Sometimes we read these Old Testament passages and we think, man, those, God, those, those Israelites, what, what were they thinking? You know, just disobeying God and just ignoring the word of the prophet. What a bunch of, boy, they got what they deserved. Huh. Let me tell you, if we got what we deserved, it would be bad too. So God is merciful. God is gracious. But, but a lot of what the Lord was doing in the nation was disciplining them. He was trying to keep the nation alive for his purposes. And at some point when a nation, and this would be true in any nation, including ours, and this would be true even in a personal life, when you begin to harden your heart against the Lord, and you begin to kind of just do your own thing, and you can't be corrected, and you, can't, and, you, and you seemingly are getting away with it. You think that everything is okay because, you know, you're still managing your life all right. You're really just setting up for yourself a day of consequence where these things are going to find you out. And God is going to discipline you if you're a true child of God because he disciplines his children. A child without discipline is not his child. So this is what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, picking it up in verse 5, kind of the middle of verse 5. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Can we all say amen? amen? Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I guess I wanted you to, I wanted to sow this into your heart tonight. We're, we're looking at this nation as God finishes its days. The nation is being judged. They've had generations, 350 years just since Solomon, that they were in the land and, and all of this, these came, all of this history has gone by. God has sent prophets. God has restored them. God has blessed them. But then now God is coming into this place of removing them from the land. They can't, there's no blessing for them there. If he leaves them there, they'll just continue to go farther and farther from the Lord. He has to reset them. He takes them out of the land to save them to preserve their future and their hope. And he sets them in, back in Babylon. He says, I'll bless you there. Be faithful. Receive this correction. Allow my chastening to, pr to produce what it needs in you. And this is a, a New Testament principle as well. I believe the Lord chastens us as his children. And there are times when the Lord has to kind of get our attention. There are times when the Lord has to, to reset us. We get into patterns. We get into little kind of stubborn ways. And where we're, we kind of, if God doesn't do something, we will continue to head down a path that will be harmful. 
And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, look, it's just like raising kids. Look, parents do the same thing for their children, right? You can't just let kids go their way, especially when they're young and, and, and don't know the, the, the dangers and, and the, the end of what they're doing. If you don't correct them and alter them, you, you're letting them go to destruction. In the same way, God chastens us, his children. God knows there are certain things that, that will lead you to destruction, Sometimes we're confused. We think that's going to be the path of blessing, and we get frustrated when God kind of corrects us. I didn't get the job. Gosh, Lord, what's, that was the perfect job for me. If it was the perfect job for you, God would have given it to you. If you didn't get the job, and, and, and you're, you know, then you have to trust the Lord that he has the perfect job. Oh, not this job, Pastor. The one I'm in now, this is definitely not the Lord. Maybe it isn't long-term, but maybe it is right now. You don't understand. It's hard. Well, that's, that's the way discipline goes. Maybe there's lessons there. What do I need to learn? Oh, just ask, asking that question gives it away, right? God is working in our lives. And this is for me, too. Listen, I... I you know, I, I just, I feel sometimes like the Lord is just wrestling me, you know, into conformity. I'm just, just kicking and fighting and, you know, just, no, Lord, this is not right. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> God loves us. And, it, and some of God's discipline and God's chastening, it's not, it's not even to correct sinful conduct, although he does and will do that. Thank God. But sometimes it's just developing a deeper faith, a deeper character. That's what James said, trials. God uses trials to mature faith, right? So this is part of your journey. This is part of your journey. You're going to have times when the Lord is dealing with you. And it's, but he's doing it because he loves you. He's doing it because he's trying to preserve a future and a hope for you. And he's doing it because he ultimately knows what's best. And we have to learn to submit to that. And that's the letter of Jeremiah. Guys, quit fighting this. Quit trying to listen to all the other voices that tell you otherwise. Submit to the Lord and be blessed. Resist him. Rebel. Go your own way. You can't fight God and win. There's a good sermon. You can't fight God and win. That's a good title for a sermon. Not tonight's. Verse 17, back to our text. Uh, and we'll just, I'm going to summarize. We're not going to read the, the rest of it here. We're going to go 17 all the way. That's I'm back in chapter 24 of 2 Kings. And uh, I'm going to summarize all the way through chapter 25, verse 21. What happens next? Okay, this, uh, this king goes out and he uh, surrenders. Nebuchadnezzar takes a big bunch back captive. Ezekiel is, is caught up in that group as well. And then Nebuchadnezzar places his own king, uh, one of, the, one of the, the royalty of Judah, a man that he names Zedekiah. He makes him king to reign in Jehoiachin's place. And he now, Nebuchadnezzar saying, okay, I've taken all the nobles, I've taken most of the military people, I've taken all of the you know, wealthy, and, and, and I've taken everybody out. There's just going to be you, Zedekiah, and you're going to rule over 
what's left here, but don't rebel against me. You keep sending tribute. You do what I tell you. You're my puppet king here. I'm in charge. And Zedekiah, sure, absolutely, that's the way we're going to do it. But what do you think he does? After Nebuchadnezzar's gone, after the army's gone, after the siege is over, it's just a matter of time until he rebels again. And you can kind of read some of this in Jeremiah. It's almost comical because after the Babylonian forces retreat and they have to go off and uh, deal with Egypt again. And so Zedekiah and all his little nobles, hey, you know, maybe, maybe Egypt's going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Maybe we can be our own nation and rule our own way again. Let's rebel. But you know what? We should check in with Jeremiah the prophet. He's been prophesying. He's been accurate so far, hasn't he? Maybe we should ask him to pray for us and see what we should do. Jeremiah, we, need, we want you to pray, seek the Lord, and tell. Here's what we're thinking. We're thinking we can rebel now against Nebuchadnezzar because he's been reassigned over there. He's over there messing with Egypt. What do you think? Seek the Lord for us. We're going to do whatever the Lord says. Jeremiah says, no, I, I don't think that's a good idea. You don't listen to what I say, and then you persecute me. No, 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 not this time. So Jeremiah says, okay, don't rebel. Stay submitted to Nebuchadnezzar because God is not going to bless any rebellion at this time. He has established Nebuchadnezzar to rule in this place. <sighs> Jeremiah is not hearing from God. He's not, he's obviously, and you know, and sure enough, they refuse to listen to, you know, that, that's, that's true sometimes, right? We need to, we want to hear from the Lord just so long as what he has to say is what we're looking to hear. God speak. Oh Lord speak. And then he speaks. No, 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 Lord, Lord, Speak something else, Lord. That's not what I wanted to hear. So this is the way it goes, even in Jeremiah's time. They ultimately would reject his prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar would come back, lay siege again. Uh, Zedekiah would try to flee, try to escape the siege. He would be captured. You can read all of this in the account here. I'm summarizing for you. He would be captured, brought physically before Nebuchadnezzar the king. They killed all of his sons before his eyes, and then they poked both of his eyes out. That was the last thing he saw was the death of his sons, and then they removed his eyes, poked his eyes out, and hauled him off captive to Babylon. And this was the final siege. When Nebuchadnezzar comes back to deal with Zedekiah, he destroys the whole city. He destroys the wall. He destroys Jerusalem. He burns the city to the ground, the temple, everything. He leaves Jerusalem in rubble. He's tried to give these guys a chance to kind of self-govern under his authority. All they want to do is rise up and declare independence. So now he, and this is the final kind of siege and the fall of the nation, 586 BC. Is that up there? Yeah. That's the final siege. Zedekiah is taken off to Babylon blind. After that, verse 22, again, just some more summary for you. Nebuchadnezzar puts uh, a man by the name of Gedaliah, if I'm pronouncing that right, Gedaliah, he makes him governor. No more kings. You're just going to be kind of a local governor here to watch over thing. He happens to be one of Jeremiah's friends. This Gedaliah, uh, he actually um, tells the people, listen, it'll be well with his, us. Let's just submit 
This is what the prophet's been telling us. Jeremiah's my friend. This will be good with us. Well, not very long, some of those from the royal family come and actually kill him. They still don't want to submit to anybody that's going to be loyal to Babylon. They kill him and then they flee to Egypt. And uh, you can read this in Jeremiah chapter 40. They take Jeremiah, they force Jeremiah to go with them. Jeremiah is drug out of there by these rebels and they flee to Egypt. And Jeremiah is taken to Egypt with these uh, that have kind of the final rebellion. There's an epilogue, and I want you to look at it with me, and we'll finish here tonight, picking up verse 27. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Remember him? He surrendered. He was only about three months. In the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon. Now that evil is just his name. Maybe he was evil, but he actually turns out to be a pretty nice guy. But not a great name for a nice guy. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Babylon had conquered many kings. And so Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. The writer of Second Kings gives us just this little epilogue at the end, almost as if to let us know that Jeremiah's prophecy was true, that God was still watching over his people even when they were captive in a foreign land. Jehoiachin was there in captivity. Maybe he took a look at the letter from Jeremiah that was sent to the captives in Babylon. And maybe in his heart, he said, you know, Lord, this is your discipline. This is, our, this is what we've earned. And now we just need to return our hearts to you and submit to this. And in that season, we see this kindness that comes to him. We see that God is still able to bless. This was an evil king. This was a king that was complicit in all of the trouble and persecuted Jeremiah. But here at the end of his life, he finds favor. And I, I found that to be just an expression of God's mercy. I found that to be a blessing that, you know what, it's never too late. That even, even in a place of judgment, God is looking to be merciful. You know, God doesn't delight in the judgment of the ungodly. God delights in mercy. God is always looking to be merciful. And just this last, kind of the last thing written by the, the writer of Second Kings, by the way, remember that king that got taken captive? God showed him favor. When the, the new king of Babylon came in, he blessed him and he took care of him. And that speaks to us of the gospel. God gives us a new standing. He got new garments. He got new provision. Boy, that pictures the gospel, doesn't it? God gives us, you know, a new standing with him. He takes us out of prison, gives us a new place in his kingdom. The apostle Paul would say, take off the old garments and put on the new. We've been given new garments in Christ that are spotless and blameless. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. 
All things become new. This is a message of hope. It's a message to come to Jesus. It's a message to live for God. I want to close with this verse out of Jeremiah. You don't need to turn. I'll quote it to you. Maybe this may be the saddest verse in the Bible. And as we look at all of this that's happened, kind of coming to this, this conclusion of what took place in Judah, this was one of, the, one of the words Jeremiah spoke from the Lord to the nation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. They had so much time to repent. They had so many opportunities to turn their heart to the Lord as a nation, as a people. And, and yet now... Jeremiah says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're still not saved. We've still not turned our hearts to the Lord. Talking about just a lament for his people there in Jerusalem. You know, I I just want to kind of close with that sobering word for us tonight. God wants to be merciful. God has given so much opportunity in the gospel and the, the grace of God available for us in Christ. Oh, that we would turn to the Lord, that we would live for the Lord. I don't want that to be said over my life. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. God, that we would turn to you. God, that we would live for you. God, that we would take advantage of the opportunities we have to respond to you. And Lord, that we would not be stubborn, that we would not be hard-hearted, that we would submit and yield to your discipline, your loving care and, and direction of our lives. A time for truth, uncompromising. Though it may be unpopular, it's the only hope that we have is the gospel, and it's never too late to respond to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this study through the history of Israel. We finish up tonight in Second Kings, and we see the end. We saw the great promise in the beginning, Lord. We saw David and Solomon and the great kings in the many blessed years. But Lord, we saw the gradual decline and, and Lord, it's come to the end. Even after the warnings of the prophets and the message of hope and restoration and grace. And yet in the end, Lord, these were people that had to be disciplined. I pray tonight, Lord, that we as your people that we would not be hard-hearted, that we would not be stiff-necked, that we would not be rebellious, that we would be sensitive to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we would not have to endure consequence of things, Lord, of of our own making. We will have trial. We will have shaping of our character and in, in, in our lives and walk with you. But Lord, we want to give place to that. We don't want to kick against that. We don't want to to, to be discouraged in that, as the writer of Hebrews says. Don't be discouraged. But Lord, that we would trust you and know that you love us and know that you're bringing us to a future and a hope. Just as we close tonight, before we close in a song of worship, maybe you're here tonight and you're in a place that you just need to surrender to the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. The harvest It's not yet over for us, as long as you're alive, as long as you have opportunity to hear and respond to the message of Christ, you can be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, forgive me. It's time for me to surrender my life to you. Come into my life. 
I'd love to pray for you if you're here and you want to receive Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you're just, you're fighting the Lord. You know the Lord, but you're stubbornly going your own way. And you just keep kind of thinking you're going to get some better outcome if you go your way rather than his. But the Lord is speaking to you. And the Lord is not saying this in a harsh way tonight, but in a gentle and a loving way. Trust me. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. I know my plans for you, not for evil, but for good, a future, a hope. Submit to my, my plan for your life. Allow me to lead you by my spirit. And maybe you're here tonight and you just, you just need to surrender afresh and new to the Lord. So if you're here tonight, you want to receive Christ, or you just need to re surrender your heart to Christ, I would ask you just to raise your hand and I'll, I'll pray for you here tonight as we close. Anybody here tonight? God bless you. Back there as well. Here, amen. Another one in the back there. God bless you on the aisle. On the aisle here as well. God bless you. Amen. Any others just before I pray? Several have responded and want to just pray a word of encouragement for them. Anybody else? So, Lord, these hearts responding to you tonight. Lord, meet them with your love and your grace. Lord, this, this history that we've concluded here tonight in 2 Kings. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Corinthians and said, now listen. Learn from these examples. Learn from those that have gone before us the spiritual lessons that you can apply today. And so for these hearts responding, Lord, I, I pray that they would learn this lesson. That it's, it's better to trust you. That you love us. It's better to yield and to surrender and to submit to your plan and your counsel. Because, God, you know what's best. You love us like a parent, a child, even more so because you're perfect and holy. For these that have responded, Lord, I pray that you would meet them first with your love and mercy, that they would be honest before you tonight and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my stubborn way. Forgive me for my own, following my own counsel and resisting you and disobeying, whatever it is, Lord, whatever you've touched the heart on tonight, Lord, just let them surrender it tonight and, and receive mercy and grace. And Lord, I pray, forgive them and cleanse them because your grace is sufficient tonight. The blood of Jesus is still all powerful, able to cleanse. And then Lord, secondly, I pray that you would just fill them with your spirit, your love and your grace would just flood their heart. And this would be like we saw of Jehoiachin, Lord, just exchanging garments, prison garments for new garments, coming into a place of provision and blessing and walking in the full standing that they have with you in Christ. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.